They never are. They never are. <clears throat> well, happy Father's Day to everyone who is a father. Day. Yes. Amen. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> my notes are all backwards here. Um, so it is a, an awesome day. Um, regardless of the confusion and the stuff that's going out there in the world, um, and in lieu of that, or not in lieu of that, but because of that, in, in acknowledging that, I've titled today's message, What is a Father? What is a Dad? Um, unlike uh, a movie, and by the way, for those of you who weren't here earlier, I, I did announce that we will be showing those movies, um, hopefully, uh, here soon. So we'll be showing them here on the big screen, and uh, maybe we'll have some uh, popcorn and stuff. Maybe some root beer floats. Um, that'd be awesome. But uh, we'll just see how that goes. And, uh, and uh, um, we'll be answering, uh, uh, unlike the world today, which doesn't know how to answer questions that are very obvious, um, even when they're asked appropriately, appropriately of someone of a certain gender, um, they don't know how to answer the question. Um, <clears throat> And it's strange to, to uh, realize that, that in today, um, the value of truth is like zero. Um, it's all, it's become even more relative than it was. Yeah, it's, you know, it's my truth and that's all that matters. You have to believe my truth. Like, why do I have to believe that? My truth says I don't. Now what? So, so there's, there's those things that counter that, and, and uh, they don't think about those types of things. But um, <clears throat> we're in a crazy time. But today, you know, they, they've, uh, um, the world, the worldlings, the earth dwellers, the ungodly, however you want to title them, they're uh, coming up with all different kinds of uh, things to distort what is obvious. And what's strange is... Uh, uh, most of them will believe that the earth is billions of years old. Millions, if not billions, of years old, right? And they believe that man's been here for hundreds of thousands of years at least, right? That's like, well, um, have you thought of the idea that uh, your new ideas today would been totally and have been totally rejected by the rest of humanity for all those supposed thousands and hundreds of thousands or millions of years or whatever? Why is it only recently that this is the case? Um, and it is, uh, it is a case of confusion, but today we honor fathers. We, we do. And uh, I didn't get a chance in uh, the praise time, and it's kind of on purpose to, uh, you know, for those of us who were fortunate enough to have a dad who was godly, and uh, um, Memorial Day, the Friday of Memorial Day weekend, which was, what, a weekend or two ago, um, as I was going through my uh, uh, garage, and I still haven't unloaded all my stuff, so I'm still going through boxes and finding them now that I can have room to, to get there. You know, I came across a, a picture of my uh, mom and dad, and, and uh, on, on that day and with uh, Father's Day coming, you know, I realized how much I missed them. I really did. I realized that... Like, man, I really, really, I really wish they were here. But, you know, we do have a Father in, in heaven. And uh, even this morning, I was just praying and saying, Lord, can you please convey to my dad how much I love him and miss him? 
And I wish he was still here, but he's not. And he's, he's in a better place with you for that, I, I can be sure. And it's an amazing thing, um, the whole idea of, of fathers and what, what is a father and what is, what is a dad. Well, number one, a father, uh, a dad, is, is the male of the, the species, an adult male for the most part. <clears throat> Some, uh, uh, the male species of, of the human or the male um, of humankind um, are able to pr- reproduce. That's one of the distinctions. We're able to, uh, uh, we have different anatomy, different physiology, different biology from, from women. And praise God for that. He did that on purpose. It, wasn't a, it was no accident. It wasn't a coinkydink. It was planned. It was his purpose, right? And he did so when he made man. He did so and he gave man the one thing that the rest of creation does not have, which is his Imago Dei, the image of God. He made mankind in the image of God. And uh, he made man, and out of man, he took and made woman. And so we come from the same person. We come from the same uh, essence, if you will. We're natural. And we're made specifically different. Um, I love that uh, in that uh, area of the, uh, of the movie. I don't want to give it all away, but the watching a movie recently where... Um, the uh, narrator is uh, there and uh, the director of the whole thing and, and uh, he's in a foreign country. Very, very tribal people. And for them it was like ridiculous that anybody would even think this way, let alone ask this question. And they even asked that question. They're like, are people really wondering about this in America? If so, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be in that place. That's, they're, they're confused. If they don't understand what the difference is between a man and a woman, it's very simple. And that's the thing, is, is if they would look at that and just say, hey, this is, this is what you guys seem to want everybody to go back to primitive times like this. Well, like I said earlier, it's always been acknowledged that there's a difference between a man and a woman. You know, and the women laughed when they asked the, these women. They just simply said, well, duh. <laughs> a woman? A woman is... An adult female who can deliver children. That's, that's it. A man can't do that. That's just nonsense. And they're right. They're absolutely right. So we honor dads today because dads are... are uh, God was... Um, uh, when he made man, he made man with the intention of making man a dad. Making him a father. And unfortunately, one of the things that uh, I was kind of focused on... Um, was not delving too deep into a lot of the, um, the important things that the meaning of man and, and all those things. Um, and I definitely was not interested in beating up you guys. The world does that enough right now. The world beats up men left and right in, in literature and in music and um, in uh, movies and all different kinds of areas and in, in academia. Men are beat up, and uh, unfortunately, young men right now are dealing with that, um, that issue, and they're, they're the ones who need to benefit from men who are men, so that they can get rid, and, and uh, you know, uh, they, they call it, you know, toxic masculinity. Well, there's nothing toxic with the man being a man. Um, there isn't. There just isn't. A man is a man, he's different than a woman, and there's different levels of what 
people would call manly. And uh, there's different, you know, kind of ideas of how you can approach that. But we all have a general idea of what that is, you know. We really do. And it's really simple. And God intended for men to be dads, to be fathers, to father children and to raise them. But he did so in, in, uh, in the um, <clears throat> admonition of the Lord was the, the whole intent. That men were originally supposed to raise their children and they were to raise children not just for himself, but the actual intent of it was to raise children to God. That's what the whole idea was. That's why when he said be fruitful and multiply, that's what he was, he was saying. And I want to this morning, as we look at what a dad is, I think the, uh, and what a father is, I think I want to, uh, um, I want to focus on Matthew chapter 6, but there's some Old Testament uh, um, passages and, and references that I want to get to also. And so, with that being said, I, I, uh, I also want to emphasize that, that um, in the Old Testament, um, God, the idea of God as Father, is not a New Testament idea. And uh, I know I've spoken on this before and preached on this before, but it's, but it's so important for us to know that. Because God himself, he says that he is a father. And the psalmists say that he is a father. And in the New Testament, when we get there, we're going to see that Jesus introduces this whole idea, this, this whole thing. And we'll look at a place in John, chap, uh, John chapter 5, I believe it is, um, where Jesus is challenged because he calls, him, he calls the Father his Father, my Father. And they're not too happy with it. Uh, many of you have heard that uh, the Jews took the name of God so um, <clears throat> reverently that they wouldn't even say the name. They would just call him Hashem, Hashem, which literally means the name. So when they were talking about God, in order to not use his name in vain, they would say Hashem instead of taking the chance of using his name in vain. But you know, there's... It's not just the reverence, and it's not, it's not just the, uh, uh, the importance of the name. I think what, the, what also has happened is because of the fact that they were talking about God in religious terms, and strictly in religious terms. And that was part of the deal. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene, he changes everything. And he focuses in on the idea of this personal God. Because when you think of a dad, when you think of a father, you think of a personal person. Someone who is there, somebody who is present, somebody who you can rely on, somebody who you trust in, somebody who you believe. How many of us fathers have told our kids, kiddingly, some not-so-true things, and they believe it? And to this day, they might even believe it because they believe us. They take us at our word. Hey, my dad said this, so it's got to be true. And in the same way, Jesus seems to introduce this whole idea of who God really is. And it's just mind-blowing to these people. They can't understand that. That's foreign. That's a foreign whole idea. No, he's, he's just God. Yes, but he's your father. And we're going to see that. Um, the New Testament is, is an amazing uh, uh, place where Jesus kind of changes the focus. But the, 
You know, the word father is an important thing. The word father in the, in the Bible is used a lot of times. Um, it's used many, many, many times. And when we think about it in terms of how the Bible uses it, it uses it in many different ways, not just to uh, name God as being the, uh, the father, but it, he, it just uses the name over and over and over again, the title father. You want to guess how many times the word father, just what, not fathers, not plural or anything like that, just the word father alone is used in the scriptures. 1,546 times. That's a lot of times. 1,171 times in the Old Testament, the word father appears. And in the New Testament, um, which is much smaller than the Old Testament, it's used 393 times, almost 400 times. The word father is, is an important thing. God intended, he has intent. Words have meaning. And the idea of what a father is, is, well, it's definitely not a female. So you can get that, you know, put that to rest. You know, maybe wipe the sweat off your brow. I'm glad, I'm glad to know that. And, and it seems silly in today's um, information age that we're in that we even have to ask these kinds of questions. It's, it does really seem ridiculous and silly. But unfortunately, we're in that place. It's like people have been educated to the point of imbecility. They're, they're walking idiots. They, they, they can't think for themselves. And it's, it's sad. It's funny, but it's sad at the same time. And uh, <clears throat> this is just one of the things that we're dealing with. So, um, so we will be, um, uh, going back to what I said earlier, we will be showing a couple of, sh uh, of movies. Um, and uh, I'll let you guys know on, on what time we're going to do that. Probably be in the evening sometime. And we can just chill watch the movies, and invite the community around us. We'll make some flyers up and get them passed out and see what happens, see what God does. But all that to say that when we look at what a father is, I think the best definitions that we can come up with are that which is relating to what is true. And what is it that relates to what is true? What is the source of truth? And I think we have to ask that question. You know, where do we get truth and, and where do we find truth? And to where do we go in order to receive truth, to know what's true? Um, Jesus put it really simply in a prayer in John chapter 17. He said, your word is truth of the Father. And so we have to go to that source. That's where we find. That's the resource that God has given us, the Bible, in order so that we may know what a father is. And there's just, the Bible is, like I said, 1,546 different times. It is replete with the word Father. So it's very intended, and it's very straightforward. It's very simple. Only dads can be dads, and only fathers can be fathers, and they have to be male, right? Because even uh, in single family, uh, single, you know, head families that have a single mom or single dads, only the dad can be the dad and only the mom can be the mom. Um, that's just the way that God intended things to be. So when we think of, of dads, um, 
And when I think about my dad, you know, one of the things that, that uh, when my dad passed away, one of the honors that I was able to do is in speaking um, at my dad's funeral was to remind the people that, hey, we, we are not a rich people. I wish we were, but we weren't. But I said, but we are rich in another way. My dad left us a legacy, a legacy that's more important than a pile of money or a bunch of land or homes or whatever. He left us a, a legacy of when we were at our worst. He left us a legacy of a dad who loved us. A dad who would, you could hear him cry out from his bedroom with the door closed. And he was crying out for his sons who were wayward. Very wayward. And you could hear him cry out on behalf of his sons. God save my sons. Don't let them go to hell. Save them. They need saving. And he left us that legacy, a legacy of faith and a legacy of prayer. And we, all, most of my brothers and sisters have all joined in on that. And it's something that is precious, and it's precious in God's sight. And it's good for us to do that, to be able to do that. One of the things that I know that is important for children and dads have this um, privilege of blessing their children. One of the greatest needs of a child, no matter how old they are, is to hear from their father, I'm proud of you. Just to hear that from the lips of, of a dad, I'm proud of you. Proud of them when they achieve. Proud of them when they, when they are working towards something. And you can tell them that you're proud of them for that. But even just as importantly is when they fail. And you tell them, I'm proud of you. Because you're trying. And you're going to get this. One of the blessings that we have as dads and fathers is we can actually bless our children. And there's a spiritual impact about it that, that I don't fully comprehend or understand. But we see it in the Old Testament where the fathers would bless their children and they would speak into their lives things that are important. And you can do that with your kids no matter how old they are. You can tell them, you're going to succeed, you're going to do this because you're you. And you can bless them with that and it'll change their life. Many children today, um, you know, I, I, my dad never physically, uh, vocally, that I can remember. I was thinking about this over the weekend. I said, you know, I, I, and I was asking the Lord, I'm like, Lord, I don't remember my dad ever telling me that, that he was proud of me. I knew that he was, but I just never, I don't remember ever him hearing that. And I had to think to myself, what might have been different if I'd have heard that? My dad was old school. And as I've said many times before, both my mom and my dad grew up in abusive homes. And somehow, way, by the grace of God, because of their faith in Christ and the love that he poured out on their heart, he didn't, they didn't pass that on to their children. You know how rare that is? To grow up in an abusive home and have that not be so ingrained into people that, that it just keeps passing on for generations. God stepped in, but God, but God 
he had another plan. And he changed the whole, the whole way that we uh, relate to one another. And it, not saying that it was perfect, but God stepped in and did something. And looking back at that, I, I still was like, Lord, just if there's a way possible, tell my dad how much we miss him and we love him. And we're so thankful that you gave him to us. Um, because he was a quiet man. He was a typical, you know, very quiet didn't, he wasn't a man of many words, but when he did speak, he spoke loudly. And I don't mean like a big, big voice or anything like that. It's just they, there was weight to what he had to say. And so it was, uh, it was just a blessing to be able to do that. And I, I want to honor my dad and thank God, my father, who gave me that dad and do it so publicly so that people can understand it, that even if you didn't have a dad that was like that, that was that you could hear him pray for you, or you could hear him. He was blessing you in his prayers, or or the way that he um, acted out his faith. And that was one of the blessings of, of having a dad like that, is I could actually see his faith in action, in the things that he chose to not do, and the way that he chose to live. And it was just amazing. And I I can just credit that to to God our Father who is in heaven. And and so that being Father's Day, I just wanted to uh, acknowledge him that way. Um, So as we go here, um, I want to uh, um, just kind of unfold this a little bit. So in the Old Testament, we have um, areas where God is spoken of as a father. So it's not a New Testament concept. It didn't come with Jesus, although Jesus is behind it um, in a whole different way that sometimes we don't think about. And it's not only the fact that he introduced this idea of father, but we're going to see that it was something even more intimate. Because there's another word that's in the Aramaic that is used, and Jesus used it in a time when he was faced with his most difficult task. When he was faced with having to deal with the sin of the world. And the weight of the world was pressing in upon him. And he used not just the word uh, in the Greek, pater, or father. He used a different word. It's a much more intimate word. Um, Dr. Uh, uh, David Jeremiah was talking, he's been in uh, Israel several times, and he says, it's not, it's not uh, so uncommon if you stop when you're there and you listen and there's children, it's not so uncommon to hear this term being used of their dads, Abba. It's very common. It's a term, that, that, that an endearing term that, that is used to describe who they know of as their Abba, as their father, as their dad. And Jesus introduces this idea. So I want to begin by um, uh, a word of prayer and then we'll go into the scriptures and see what the Bible has to say about this, about who our God is as the perfect father. So let us pray and then we'll, uh, we'll go into these scriptures. Uh, Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you have made yourself known and that you have uh, saved, that you are salvation and that you are our Father, even our Abba Father, who is in heaven. 
Thank you, Lord, for your Son, whom you sent, and who opened up the gates of heaven for us, who were on the one side just storing up wrath, but he opened that gate of grace and introduced you to us as our Father who is in heaven. Our loving Father, who's full of grace and mercy and kindness. So much so that we can't fully comprehend or understand or take it all in. We thank you that you are our Father who is in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would just open up our eyes, ears, mind, and hearts to these truths. And that us as fathers and dads would do better. That we would reflect our ultimate Father, the one Father who is in heaven. We thank you, Lord, that we can call upon you at any time. Help us, O Lord, to reflect your love, not just to our children and our children's children and beyond, but also to those children around us. Thank you, Lord, for you are so good. Thank you that we can honor dads in a time when um, culture seems to uh, degrade them. Lord, I thank you that we can be counter to that culture and we can speak truth and that we can come to the truth and that we can know truth because you are truth and your word is truth. We thank you that you've transmitted your word to us so that we may know you and that we may glorify you. And hallelujah, that we may enjoy you forever. We thank you, we praise you, we bless you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So in, uh, I want to start with uh, our brother uh, Isaiah. And he uses this term in a very specific way. In Isaiah 63, verses 15 through 16, he says this. He says, look down from heaven and see your holy and glorious habitation. Where are your zeal and your mighty deeds? This was, of course, at a time when things were happening around them and they were wondering, God, where are you? He says, the, the stirrings of your heart and your compassion are restrained toward me. I'm not feeling it, Lord. I ain't getting it. I'm not experiencing it. For you are our Father. Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not recognize us, you, O oh Lord, are our Father. Our Redeemer from of old is your name. He's acknowledging, hey, I don't, I don't know who Abraham is. I know who he is, but I don't know who he is. He doesn't know who I am. But it doesn't change the fact that you are our Father. You're much more than just God. You're so much more. You're so much more than just Redeemer. You are our Father. Um, and that's for those who are his. In Isaiah 64, verses 6 through 9, he says this. He says, for all of us have become like one who is unclean. How many can identify with that? And all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind takes us away. There is no one who calls on your name. Who arouses himself to take hold of you? For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. 
And fathers will do that sometimes, won't they? They'll let their children fail. If you don't understand that concept as, as a dad, please understand that. Sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to be willing sometimes to let our children fail. Even miserably if need be. Because that's how they learn. They have to learn to fail. And to persevere. And those are those moments when you can step up as a dad and say, you know, you're failing, you failed this, but I'm proud of you. Because you're trying and you're still working towards that. And you're going to get there. You can acknowledge the failure, but at the same time you can tell them that you are proud of them. And that also that you can instill in them this understanding, my dad is for me. You're going to get this because of who you are. You will, you will succeed. You will do this. We have the power in our tongues to heal many things in our children. He says, you have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. And sometimes we have to do that. But now, O oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are potter. You're molding us. You're making us. You're shaping us. That's what fathers do. That's what dads have the power to do. To mold, to shape, to, um, to work. And then he says, all of us are the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Nor remember iniquity forever. Behold, look now, all of us are your people. So there's the idea again of, the, of God as a father. And that's what Isaiah had come to understand. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 68, verses 4 through 6. He says, sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song for him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and exult before him. He is a father of the fatherless, a judge of the widows. He cares for those who are fatherless. He cares for the widows who don't have anybody to be able to help them come alongside of them. And he is a God in he is God in his holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. So great is God, his love for his creation. In Psalm 89, verses 26 and 27, he says this, he says, He will cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. The whole idea is that God is a father. He's not just God. He's not just this distant person. This distant deity. He's very intimate. And he's involved in the lives of his people. Psalm 103. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions for us. That's how much he loves. That's amazing. It's the same idea of, of uh, when we see our kids messing up all over the place. It doesn't change our love for them one iota. Not one 
even a millimeter. It stays the same. It's the same idea. So great is his loving kindness towards us, towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions for us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. You're just puffed up dirt. And he knows it. And he loves you. And he'll remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? That's infinite. That's infinitely. That's how far he removes when we trust in him, when we fear him, when we know, and when we are in Christ. In Psalm 148, 8 through 10, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. You get this compassion. You can feel his his care for, for those who are the outcasts, those who are downtrodden, those who don't have. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. How many of us were blinded for so long and then all of a sudden God opened our eyes that we might see? He opened the eyes of the blind. It says, the Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. God is an awesome God. And he's amazing. Um, If you want to learn some great uh, fatherly tips, read the book of Proverbs as often as you can. Especially those first few chapters where Solomon is writing and specifically to his sons so that they would be wise. In Proverbs 3, 11 through 13, this is what he says to his son. He says, my son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. The same idea of being a dad, being a father, correcting the son that you love. Um, And he says, just like a father does these things, so God loves those. And he, in the New Testament, it tells us that those whom God loves, he will discipline. He does because he loves. Just like a father. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. And lastly, from the, uh, from the uh, Old Testament, um, in Hosea, he says this. He says, I will sow her for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. This is the heart of a father. He says, and I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. That's the adoption. That's the adoption of God adopting people for himself who were not his. And he calls them his. He says, I will have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Um, 
Jesus in the New Testament, he begins, um, like I said, the, uh, uh, he begins talking about God in a way that the people were not used to. And it was offensive to them. They didn't understand. They couldn't receive it. And there's a specific reason why Jesus talks about that in the book of John. But here, um, in uh, John chapter 5, you have this interchange of, of this um, Savior, the incarnate God who came, born of a virgin. In John chapter 5, you have this scene of, of Jesus who had healed this man who had been, la- uh, he'd been lame for many, many years. And he's laying by the pool of Bethesda, I believe it is, and, and he's waiting for the waters to be rippled. Supposedly an angel that was going to come and as soon as you get in, you'll be, you'll be healed. Well, Jesus comes alongside and he decides, and it's a Sabbath, a Sabbath day. It's a day like today where people are gathered to worship. The focus was the worship of God. And here's this lame guy who can't even do that because he's lame. I don't mean lame like in the sense of, you know, somebody who's lame. But he couldn't move. He was a quadriplegic type thing. Something had happened to his body. And when you read through the text, I'll let you read through that. But in, in uh, John chapter 5, it's, it seems like there might have been something that had gone on that had caused this to happen. But Jesus comes alongside of him. And when uh, I'm going to read in verse 6 here of chapter 5 of John. He says, and uh, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. So he's saying in a roundabout way, yeah, I want to get healed, but I can't do what's necessary in order to get healed. What is needed for me to do, I can't do. And Jesus just says, arise and walk. You don't need no waters. You don't need the rippling thing. You don't need an angel. Jesus just simply says, get up and walk. And amazingly, in verse 9, he says, Rise, take up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. Can you imagine what was going through his body and through his mind? Lying there and then all of a sudden it's like... And what was it that made him move? What was it that made him get up and take up his pallet? It was the power of God. It was the power of those words. It was the power of Jesus on a holy day saying, get up and walk. Get up and move. Um, He didn't rebuke him. He didn't do any of those things. He just simply said, arise, take up your pallet and walk. He spoke in power and the man immediately responded. Something happened. Something was going on there. This was a supernatural move of God. It wasn't normal. The guy had been laying there for years. And all of a sudden, this Jesus shows up on the scene and says, Arise, 
take up your pallet, and walk. It's really a picture of salvation, isn't it? We're crippled by the effects of sin. Every single one of us. And we're crippled in life because of it. And we're crippled to not be able to come to God because of it. And then this person, Jesus, shows up and he says, Arise and walk. He calls people to life. He all of a sudden does it by the power of his word. By the power of his spirit. Not by anything that we do or say or think or believe. He just simply says, Come. And he does it. It's amazing. And then it makes mention, now this was a Sabbath on that day. Uh, Verse 10 says, Therefore the Jews were saying to him um, who was cured, It's a Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. These guys were blind. (laughs) I mean, they, they had to have known that this is the guy that was used to be laying there. He's wearing the same clothes. It doesn't say that he all of a sudden had a change of clothes. It doesn't say that all of a sudden he was given a robes and all this stuff. He's carrying his pallet. They know who he was. And rather than rejoicing in God, rather than going, praise God, glory to God, hallelujah, come to the temple and, and let's go worship our God. No, they're like, you can't be carrying that. It's a Sabbath. But he answered to them in verse 11, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Take up your pallet and walk. And they asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your pallet and walk? But he who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. So he didn't do it in secret. He did it there in front of everybody. And then he slips away. Verse 13, uh, verse 14, excuse me. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. Now that's an important thing to think about. He's now in the temple. He's able to walk. His life has just been changed. He's been made new. He's a new creation. Kind of the idea that's going on here. And what does a new creation do? Goes to the temple and worships. Sounds a lot like a lot of people that are here. Right? We now come together to go worship. It's not a temple, for say, you know, to say that it is, because in the New Testament, as Paul says, do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? You take the temple with you wherever you go. So you bring the temple into the chapel in order to worship God. And here he's in the temple. Jesus finds him and says to him, Behold, uh, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse may befall you. And there's that kind of a hint that maybe something he had done had caused this. Um, In verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And maybe you're thinking, well, what has this got to do with Father's Day? Well, listen, Jesus is introducing this this idea, and it's offensive to them because they don't understand this concept. They understand the concept of God. God is one, and there's only one God. 
you know. Um, they knew the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, they knew that. But here, Jesus answers to them, to their, uh, um, they, were, they were already being upset because it's the Sabbath. In, in uh, verse 17, Jesus says, but he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. Verse 18, for this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, which obviously he wasn't, because Jesus doesn't break the law. He fulfills it. The Sabbath wasn't meant for what they thought it was. It is a day of rest, but they were to keep it holy, but it wasn't what they thought it was. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. A whole new idea. Jesus was, well, if, that, if he's your Father, then you're calling yourself God. And this is why they wanted to kill him. So Jesus introduces this idea of what a father is, who the father is. And notice that he says, my father is working. What was it that he had just done? He had just healed a man. Jesus did. It was the power of God, the father working through him, through the Holy Spirit, to heal this man, to take him out of his lameness, so that he didn't need, he no longer needed a little... Uh, um, you know, scooter. He didn't need his little pallet. He didn't need all of that, that, those things anymore. Now he's got to get up and go to work every morning. <laughs> he's going to find out. He's going to remember what that's all about. Oh boy, now what am I going to do? I've got to go get a job. But what a, what a blessing that would be, right? It's like, I can get up and walk. i got two feet underneath me. Now I can go do stuff. That's awesome. He got his new vehicle and now he's able to go do stuff. And these guys, all they could see was he's not doing what we expect. And so I want to turn to um, uh, Matthew. In Matthew chapter 5, um, Jesus is speaking about the, uh, um, he's speaking about the Beatitudes. And sprinkled throughout the Beatitudes as he's preaching this and teaching the people about God and the things of God and the kingdom he intermittently uses the word Father. And he's sprinkling it in in his sermon. And the amazing thing is he's not just talking about God as his Father. The amazing thing is he's saying, your Father. Your Father. This is the one and only begotten Son of God saying to them, your Father who is in heaven. He's the one who's behind all this. He's the one that you should honor. And so I just want to read a couple of verses where it says, um, in, in this uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 14 um, through 17, he says, You are a light of the world. A city on a, on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Then he says this, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It speaks to motive. Let them see your good works. 
Why? So you could get a brownie point? So you can get your, earn your star, your little medal? No. He's saying, do so in such a way that your Father will be glorified in heaven. Wait, is this, this guy doing this? What? This isn't like him. Something must have happened to him. It's the idea. It's the idea of, of a father. And notice he says, to glorify your father. Do this for the purpose of glorifying your father. What is the purpose of man? To glorify God, to glorify your father who's in heaven. He's introducing this idea. He's not just a God who's far off in heaven, but he's close. He's personal. In, uh, skip down to 44, verse 44 and 48. He, uh, 44 through 48 says this, But I say to you, love your enemies. Um, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. What is he saying? Be like your dad in heaven. Just like the previous verse saying this is the way that God is, do work, just like my father is working until now, do the work that glorifies him. Because that's what dads do. We work. We go to work every day. And ladies, the one thing that I know women crave is the attention of their husbands, and they want their husbands to be there for them and to do, um, you know, give them some emotional support and all these things. But men have to go out and work. And that's one of the things that we have to just learn to deal with. Otherwise, you don't have a house, you don't have the bills paid, and you don't have all the things that you need. So men have to go out and do these things. And so in the same way God, He is working, we should do the same thing. We should emulate our Father who's in heaven. In this case, now He's turned to love. And God loves the way that God loves, in a way that is unspeakable, in a way that is unsearchable, in a way that we can't fully fathom or totally understand. Because he says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. God loved you while you were yet a sinner. He saved you and sent His Son while we were sinners. He didn't wait. He sent them. God was busy loving you as an enemy, praying for you, as if you will, who were persecuting Him. In order that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and ascends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have you? If you only love those who love you, big deal. Um, then he says, do not even the tax gatherers do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do that? And that's a dig. You're a tax collector and a Gentile? Like, no, go beyond that. Go further than you could ever think or imagine. Then he says in verse 
48, this most disturbing of texts. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so many take this and distort it and make it mean something that, no, you have to be perfect. Before you can be right with God, you have to be perfect. That's not what he's saying. He says love in such a way, in such a mature way, to put all your self aside. Put all your selfish desires, all your selfishness away. And love in such a way that it changes the people around you, even those who are your enemies. And in chapter 6 of Matthew, this is replete with different ways of the way that God loves through his people. And I want to read verses 1 through 15 very quickly. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. He's not saying, don't practice righteousness. He just says, beware when you're doing it. Right? He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. In other words, don't be putting on a show. Uh, Don't spend, you know, vast amount of wealth to help others and then announce it to everybody. You know, going on CNN and saying, well, you know, I humbly gave this much to help these people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, I'm pledging to the, to the uh, hospital, so, you know, I humbly accept this portion of the building and this facility with my name on it. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus says, uh, you have your reward. That's it. That's all you're getting. He says, don't do, it, don't do it like that, but be like your father. He says, otherwise you have no reward with your father in heaven, or who is in heaven. Here's one of the other keys. Father's reward. We should reward our children. When they do well, acknowledge it. When they fail, reward them. Not with a spanking or timeout or whatever, grounding, but reward them with, I, I love you and I'm proud of you. I know you failed, but... We're going to get through this. You're going to be all right. Um, so fathers are to be rewarders of things, just like our Father in heaven. He says, when therefore you give alms, or when you give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you. Hey, I'm about to drop a big amount right here. And I'm just letting you all know. And I'm doing so humbly. <laughs> yeah. Don't pay attention to me, but here I am. That's the idea. He says, when you, do the, when you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. That hurts. That's all you're going to get. That acknowledgement. Boom. God's not impressed, in other words. Um, I, I know I mentioned it before, but I remember having a discussion with somebody, and they were talking about... Um, Bill Gates and his foundations and all the money that he gives away. I said, now he's got his reward. He puts it out there all the time. He's proud of the fact that he does that. Like, that's, that's his reward. That's it. That's all he's getting. It's not like God's up there going, whew, I'm glad I gave him billions of dollars. No, it's not. He's got his reward. Um, 
He says, but when you give alms, do not let the left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. In other words, they got one, one eye closed and one eye open to see, is anybody watching, is anybody seeing me? You know, I got to get all, you know, biblical language kind of stuff, and all that, so that I can sound more holy. <laughs> it's that type of, it's kind of silly when you think about it, kind of funny what he's saying here, but in another way, it's just horrible because he's saying, don't do that. Don't pray like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street to, and, uh, uh, on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go in your inner room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition. As the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Sometimes you make it short and sweet. Sometimes there's a lot of people to pray for, so you just mention them. But that doesn't tell us that we are not to be meeting together in order to pray publicly with one another. Because we are also called to carry one another's burdens in prayer. And uh, sometimes it's unspoken prayers. But we're to do that. Um, and when we do so, when we're praying for somebody, we just do it in faith. Pray. Go to your Father. And don't make a big deal about it. Just go do it. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Yeah. And by the way, don't let this become an excuse for you not to pray. Oh, God knows what, what I need. He knows what they need. So I'm not going to worry about it. That's what people do. I know, I've done it myself. I'm ashamed to say that. God knows, I'm not going to worry about it. No, he says, don't do that. Don't be like that. He does know what you're going to pray for. He does know what you need, and he knows the answer. But go in faith. And then he says, pray then in this way. Our Father. Now this I love. Here you have the King of the Universe. He says, pray in this way, our Father. You know what he's doing? He's including you. He's expressing he's not just my Father, he's your Father. He's our Father. This is awesome and amazing. This should make us get up and shout hallelujahs when we think about it. This is the Lord of the universe saying, pray this way, our Father. We have permission. You see, we don't have to use the word Hashem. That's a practice that you could use. The title that we're given, the name that we're given is Father. Someone who cares for us. Someone who will provide for us. Someone who will be there for us. Someone who will protect us. Someone who's there constantly. He can be relied upon. That's the idea. Our Father who art in heaven. That's where He belongs. He made the heavens and the earth. He's enthroned in the heavens. And the heavens cannot contain him. It's an awesome picture. He's bigger, he bigger than the heavens. And the heavens almost seem limitless. 
And he's bigger still. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I like the way that this is written in the New American Standard because it's past tense. The way that we forgive people, the way that we've forgiven, so forgive us. It makes us conscious of the idea, man, I've got to make sure when I forgive somebody I really forgive them. Because I want that kind of forgiveness for me. And he's given that at the cross, by the way. Um, Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, the last part of this, I have in brackets in my uh, Bible here. And that's because in the earliest manuscripts, it's just not there. This seemed to be added a little bit later. The, for thy will, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Even if it wasn't in the earliest, it still fits. Because his is the kingdom. And his is the power. And his is the glory. And it is forever. And to that we can all say, Amen. He says, for if you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. How many of us are transgressors of God's law? Doubly guilty? Some people just kind of went, man, I was just like, hey, man, I'm guilty. I'm guilty as, guilty as sin. Um, listen to what he says. He says, forgive men their transgressions when they transgress against you. Let us not hold on to grudges. It only leads to bitterness. And bitterness leads to rot. And you'll end up leprous and full of incurable diseases. The disease of sin and unforgiveness. It does create that. It says forgive them. Um, And remember what Jesus said uh, when uh, Peter, being all wise and everything, how, how are we in being all magnanimous? How are we, often are we to forgive? Even seven times? What did Jesus say? Seventy times seven. And that's a bunch. So just let it go. Forgive them. Move on. God will deal with it. Let God deal with it. But then he says the warning, but if you do not forgive men, then your father will not forgive you, uh, forgive your transgressions. And I don't think that this means that if you don't forgive somebody that uh, God's going to hold it against you if you're already saved because you're saved. I believe what he's saying is um, the ones that don't forgive men, that are unwilling to forgive, perhaps they have never had salvation because they don't know the grace with which God has dealt with them. Remember what it said earlier in the Old Testament? God remembers that we're what? Dust. We're dirt. You guys are dirt bags. We're all dirt bags. That's all we are. He remembers that. He knows that. He knows it full well. And he says he loves us. 
And that's what a father does. He loves his children, a, a dad. Maybe you didn't have that growing up. Maybe you didn't have a dad that, that, that loved that kind of way. But that doesn't mean that you can't express or understand or, or uh, experience the love of God. Because he is the father of all fathers. He is the one who can change your life. If you feel like you've had a loveless childhood, he is the one that can fulfill that great need, that hole in your heart. And he does so marvelously. Because he'll do all the things that your father maybe never was able to do, he will do them and he fulfills them. And he does so because he cares. That's just his character that he loves. And that's what fatherhood is all about. Taking up the mantle, putting away the childishness. And sometimes many of us struggled with that for years. In our BC era, we didn't know how to do that. But when we came to know Christ, we all of a sudden had this, like, buckets full of love for our children and our spouses that we never had before. For those around us, He changes us. He's the one who provides that. He's the picture of who the perfect father is. And that is what a father is. In Human terms, as an adult male, who's definitely a male, biologically, and you can never get pregnant, and you can never have children, because you're men. And dads are supposed to be dads. And as I've said before, sometimes when we are working with our kids and i think of when we were when i had my uh, son and my daughter and we were doing more dangerous things and it would drive the wife crazy cuz like that's dangerous yes but i got it they got to learn they got to learn to deal with danger right riding a bike is dangerous riding a skateboard is dangerous doing some crazy things that uh, um one of the things that I love about YouTube is watching things that I did as a kid. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty crazy. I can't believe we did that. But that's how we learned, right? That's how we learn. And dads often teach us, and like I've said before, when I learned how to swim, it was my dad who taught me. And it was because of the fact that earlier that week I had almost drowned. And because of my foolishness in a uh, place where uh, we were just, you know, it was a hot day, we were just enjoying the water, and I'm playing around, and the, uh, well, if you guys don't know, uh, um, we had these irrigation uh, um, uh, tubes that you just pump them a couple times, and then you'd set them over the canal, and it would just siphon the water out and water the furrows, right? And uh, so I had one of those, and I was just playing with it at a uh, what, what would be a, essentially kind of a dike, or a, we used to call them a channel, and you could block up the water so it had less flow. And it would get really deep because the water would dish out the deal. And none of us knew how to swim. There's five of us there, six of us, and none of us knew how to swim. And I lost the deal, and I reached precariously over for it, and next thing I know, I'm in water with this channel pouring water on top of me, and I'm just flailing away. The good thing is, it was a current that pushed me down to where 
I was able to actually touch ground again and it was okay. And I remember as I'm bobbing like a, <laughs> like a boy there that, that's just out of control, I remember looking at one time, I saw one of my cousins, he's taking off his shirt and everything, and I remember thinking, you don't know how to swim, what are you going to do? There's a, there's a bunch of us kids that don't know how to swim, all of us guys, none of us knew how to swim. And uh, I got a beating out of that. My dad whipped me for being stupid. Um, and I appreciate that. But later on that week, after a, a long, hard day of work, he just kind of gathered us, didn't really tell us where we were going, and uh, made us bring our swim, swimming stuff and took us swimming. And he taught me how to swim. He was the one that took me out to where he could barely, the water was so high, he could barely, barely breathe as he's on his tiptoes. And he just pushed me towards the shore and said, now start swimming. And he was behind me the whole way, and I knew he was there. He wasn't going to let me drown. You see, what he did was he took on the responsibility of a dad and said, I haven't taught my son how to do this, I'm going to teach him how. So I don't have to worry about this anymore. And he took us all out, and we all learned how to swim that day. And we became strong swimmers. That's what a dad does. He disciplines us for being stupid. And shows us, hey, you can't be doing this kind of stuff sometimes. But he also says, I love you enough that I'm going to teach you how to do this myself. And he took it upon himself to do that. Didn't ask any questions. Didn't bring it back up. You almost drowned, so I'm going to do this. He just took us out there. We had fun. We learned how to swim. And before you know it, we were going clear out to the deep and coming back in and just having a blast. And he instilled in me that confidence that I could do this because I'm right there. I'm behind you. I got you. And I trusted him. And that's what we as dads do. Sometimes we have to encourage our kids because they're too afraid. We say, no, we can do this. I'm right here. Trust me. Trust me. Only don't mess up that trust. Sometimes we have a tendency to play jokes, and that can catch us in a bad spot. The Father, our Father who's in heaven, He is the glorious one. He is the ultimate Father. He's the Father that we all need. And maybe somebody out there is listening that has never known a father like that. He is the loving father. He's the father who loves us so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrates his love through the cross of Christ. He demonstrated it not waiting for us, but he took it upon himself. In Isaiah 65, 1, God says this, I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. Imagine that. That's how loving God is. I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. They aren't looking for me. There's not an empty you know, spot in their hearts. There's... No concern about me whatsoever, but I permit myself to be sought by them. That's a strange thing to think about. I permitted myself to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I permitted myself to be found by those who did not seek me. 
When God found us, we didn't even know that we were looking for God because we weren't. Yeah. That's how loving that He is. That's how loving that He is that you don't even have to look for Him. You don't have to ask for Him. I know that was my experience. I wasn't looking for God. But He showed up in a big way. And then He says, Here I am. Here I am. And he says so to a nation which did not call on his name. That's what he says. I'm here. I'm here. In Romans 8, we read this earlier. It was our, uh, um, part of our uh, memory verse. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. See, God is a father. Even in the New Testament, um, Paul understood this and borrows this idea. He says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And then he says this, and I love this, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children... Heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs of, with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may be glorified with Him. We're adopted. His Spirit makes it known to us. It's not us just proclaiming it. It's His Spirit working within us to say, you are a child of God. Ask yourself that question. Am I a child of God? Has the Spirit I, told me that and testified to that? And finally, in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you are sons. I love that. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a son. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We have an inheritance. Because we have a Father who's left an inheritance to us. If we are His. If you don't know Him today, know Him. You can know Him. You can be redeemed. You can be forgiven. And you can be loved in a way that you never, ever understood could even be possible. That is how God loves us. That is why He is the ultimate definition of what a father is. He does so without our permission. He does so without asking us. He just moves in the power of His sovereignty and His might. And He removes that stony heart and He gives us a heart that is fleshy. And He gives us a new spirit. He quickens us and awakens us to life. And He says to us, here I am, here I am. Oh, I know you weren't searching for me, but here I am. Oh, you didn't ask for me, but here I am. That is the God who is our Father, who is in heaven. Know Him. Repent of your sin and come to Him. He loves you so much. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your goodness and Your grace and Your mercy. We thank You that You are our Father who is in heaven.
And that we have that privilege, that great privilege, that was spoken from the lips of your one and only Son, even Jesus, who said to pray and call upon you as our Father. For you are our Father who is in heaven, for those who are yours. And there are some who are not yours. And Lord, we pray for them. For you tell us to pray for our enemies. Pray that they would become yours. Just like we did at a certain point in time when you awakened us to our sin. And you revealed to us our guilt. And at the same time, simultaneously, you revealed to us your son. And the cross that he bore for our sin in our place that we might live. Thank you, Lord, for the life that we now have. Thank you for those who are trusting in you for the first time. We pray that you would just continue to move as only you can. And we thank you that till the very end you will be saving people for you are salvation. Your very name is salvation. We praise you. We thank you. Our Father who is in heaven. Thank you for everything. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen.